We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark these last many months. Uh, we spent the last couple of weeks looking at the cost of discipleship. John preached from the end of chapter 8 in the Gospel of Mark the last couple of weeks and did a wonderful job. And this week, this morning, we wanted to take a moment to just look at this topic of discipleship a little bit closer, to dive a little bit deeper on what this topic is of discipleship in our lives, specifically the call to be disciples who make disciples, which is the call that God has given to each one of us. Before we dive in, let's stop and ask the Lord for His help this morning. Almighty God, we come to you this morning so grateful that we get to gather together with your saints, with men and women, young and old, who have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We come to you weary, Father, from living life in a fallen world aware of the challenges that we face every day, impossible demands, innumerable obstacles to overcome, as well as the sin that so easily entangles us. So, Father, we come this morning hungry to hear from you through your word. We want to hear from you. And so we ask that you would open our eyes to see your glory, that you would grant us by the power of your Holy Spirit to see wonderful things in your word that you would grant us clarity about who we are and grant us conviction about how we should live. Bestow, Father, the power and the boldness that we need toward that end. We pray this in the mighty name of our glorious King, Savior, Redeemer, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, please follow along now as I read from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 20. This is God's holy and authoritative Word. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God now bless the preaching of His Word. Well, I have one primary goal this morning as we look at these verses as we look at this text, one goal in mind, one goal in preaching, that is to help you fan into flame the conviction that God has given you and I, that every one of us, individually called, commanded, commissioned, and empowered by God to make disciples. We are called to be disciple-making. We are called to be making disciples. That's it. That is the big idea in this text. It's nothing novel. Throughout my experience, in both in this church and our family of churches historically, there are a number of things that we look at and see as pronounced strengths in the life, in our life together. 
we have a robust focus on the centrality of the gospel, for which we will never retreat, we will never qualify or, or apologize for. We are committed to the centrality of the gospel in the life of the believer. We have a firm commitment to expositional preaching, preaching God's Word line by line, chapter by chapter, preaching the whole counsel of His Word. We also place a strong premium on church membership. We value pastoral care, biblical fellowship, community groups, biblical counseling, classes and conferences dedicated to teaching and equipping the saints. We are so grateful that we have a church full of men and women, young and old, who are eager to grow in their faith, all commendable and which we do not take for granted. This area, one area that we'd like to grow in right now is in the area of disciple-making. We're going to grow in the area of making disciples. Now, I think that we see this done really well in families. We see moms and dads raising their children in the faith, and, and we don't want to pull back on that at all. That's a pronounced strength of our church. But where we like to stoke the fire is in this category of making disciples, of obeying this great commission, this great command. So the question that I want to pose to you this morning is this. In this season of life, as you evaluate your many priorities, many responsibilities, as you consider how you've been spending your time, where does disciple-making fit into the picture? As you look at how you plan your week, where do you look at and say, okay, this, this is where I'm, I'm making disciples. This is how I plan to make disciples this week. Who are those in your various spheres of life that you're seeking to actively invest in for the purpose of helping them to know and to follow the Savior? How are we, how are we doing in this regard? I imagine that we're all over the place in this room on this topic. We all live busy lives. It's a rare moment that I don't greet somebody and ask somebody, how are you doing? And it's regularly on their lips or on my lips. Well, it's a busy season. Got all kinds of stuff going on. Me too. Seriously, I mean, we have so many responsibilities and priorities. Mostly our lives are full of very good things, Right? There may be some of us in this room who, who have pockets of time that are spent frivolously, but I think I would wager the bet that most of you, if I looked at your schedule this week, if I looked at how you've been spending your time, it's probably full of very good things that you've been giving attention to and investing in, building a career, raising a family, investing in our children, serving in the church, enjoying good friendships, making memories as couples, all very good things. So the question becomes, how can we faithfully obey God's call on our life when life is just so busy or when the task seems too overwhelming, too challenging, too difficult? Or maybe some of us read this text and we quickly compartmentalize this into this applies to those who are gifted in discipleship. This is for those who are extroverted. This is for those uh, who do this for their job, the professional religious guys, right? So, I want us to look carefully this morning at this text. We want God's Word to continually shape and reshape our lives. Here in Matthew 28, what we see is Jesus calling us to spend ourselves in one glorious mission 
of making disciples. We are to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's it. That is our takeaway this morning. And we're going to see this. We're going to look at this passage through the lens of three claims that it lays on our lives. First claim, we are called to submit to the authority of Christ. Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What we've seen as we've been walking through Mark's gospel is this man, Jesus, he came into this world on a specific mission of redemption. He suffered, he bled, he died, and then he overcame the grave through the resurrection. He obeyed the Father perfectly. And here he declares that as a result, he has been given all authority, all power, all dominion in heaven and on earth. We've seen in Mark's gospel, he has the authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over unclean spirits. He has authority over health, life, and death. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can still the storms and, and transform our lives. And more astonishing than anything, Jesus claims the authority to forgive sins. That claim of authority garnered him the accusation of blasphemy, equating himself with God. Now, authority, authority refers to the right and the, um, and the power to hold sway in a given relationship. We see this in, uh, in each of the relationships that Jesus has in His ministry. And it's this authority that He brings to bear in our lives today. He has authority over you and I. These last two weeks, John has preached from the end of Mark chapter 8, and we have seen the authority of Jesus on full display in His call for us to count the cost of discipleship. In the words of Bonifer, He calls us to come and die. That's the call of discipleship, is a call to die to ourselves. When Jesus speaks, He does so with absolute authority. It is unrivaled and unswerving. There is nothing outside the authority of Jesus. There is nothing that He does not lay claim to. There is no point in your life or in the, or in the life of this world or in this universe which Jesus does not look upon and say, that is mine. He is the King. He rules. He governs and He commands. He has the right and the power to demand allegiance, utter allegiance from every soul that exists. The authority of Christ means it must mean something for how we order our private lives. At some point as we're planning our week, we should be considering, as James says, Lord willing, <laughs> I will do this or that. Father, help me to prioritize. Help me to be faithful. Help me to look at my days and my numbers and to number them. Father, what would you have me do? There should be some place in taking it and saying, Lord, what would you change about this? You think of how Paul described himself in, throughout his letters. The Apostle Paul describes himself with this word, the Greek word is doulos. It's translated a servant of Christ or a slave of Christ. Another place he, he calls himself an ambassador of Christ. Well, these, each of these metaphors indicate something about their position, his position, and that is of someone who, who owes his allegiance to someone else, someone who, who looks to his authority for how he spends his time, for what he goes and does, right? 
The authority of Christ means that we look to Him as we make plans, as we consider our priorities. We don't tell Him we'll get to it when we're done with other things. Rather, we are called to submit to Him as Lord. And so if our life is too busy to obey His various commands, then it is too busy. And something needs to be cut. We need to reorder our lives according to God's commands. James Montgomery Boyce I love how he puts it in his book on discipleship. He says, I have many ideas for what I want to do and be, but I must give them all up. I cannot both run my life and also have Jesus run it. Jesus is Lord of all, and unless He is Lord of all in my life, He is not Lord at all. If He is not Lord, He is not Savior. My plans must go. Yes, but in place of those flawed plans, Jesus has a perfect plan that will both bless me and help others. I must pay the price of my own will. That sinful, selfish will must go entirely. But in its place comes that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I love that. Unless He is Lord of all my life, He is not Lord at all. Jesus wields absolute authority, and He commissions His followers in a certain direction of making disciples. He invites us to come to Him and to follow Him. He declared early in His ministry that He would make us fishers of men. That is a promise. He will make us fishers of men. And now, He wields His authority and commissions us in a certain direction. He calls us to orient our lives around this particular command of making disciples. This leads to our second point, second lens, second claim. We're called to give ourselves to the mission of Christ. Jesus has a mission that He enlists you and I on, that He commissions us to, that He commands us to, that He points us to. Verse 19 We get to it. He has the authority, therefore. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, there is so much to unpack here. Surely, this is not the first sermon you have heard on these verses. And probably you've heard various things accented, and we could preach many, many weeks over these verses because there's a whole lot here. But we're going to be very focused this morning in this one central aspect of the command of making disciples. That's the call. That is the main verb in this passage. You have this going and baptizing and teaching, which are all participles, which which support the central verb of making disciples. That's the call that we're focused on this morning. You and I and every individual who has ever been ransomed by the blood of Jesus we are called as disciples. We are called as followers of Jesus. And He enlists every one of us to submit to His authority by making disciples. That's how we submit to His authority. We're called to submit to His authority. What does that authority claim on us? It claims that we make disciples, that we follow Him in this. We're to spend ourselves in one glorious mission, Matthew 28 presents this commission as the normal agenda and priority of every church and of every Christian disciple, that we be busy with making disciples. 
This is the main category by which we evaluate church health. This week, John and I and, and, and some other leaders are going to uh, travel to a pastor's conference where we, we will gather together with a number of other pastors and their wives and other leaders in our churches uh, in one place. It's going to be a wonderful time of, of equipping and, and celebrating. And surely, I'm going to sit down with numerous other pastors, and they're going to say, Brother, how is Redemption Hill Church? And this is the category that we're looking at is how we're growing in discipleship, how we're growing in making disciples. And we're excited to celebrate all that God is doing among us. So what does it mean here to make disciples? What does it mean Here's one definition. Discipleship, making disciples, is one person intentionally helping others to become lifelong followers of Jesus who make other disciples. Another way you could put it is that discipleship is intentional encouragement and training of followers of Jesus on the basis of deliberate and loving relationships. Do you hear this language of intentionality and, and deliberation? We want to be intent on something. We want to be deliberately spending ourselves. We want to be looking in a certain direction in all of our relationships. We do this with our children. We do this with our friends, certainly. We want to do this with one another at all times to be looking at how can I encourage this soul? How can I be helping them grow in the Lord? How can I point them to Him in their troubles in their anxieties, in their, in their various moments of, of uh, intersections in their life, how can I help them grow in their discipleship as they seek to follow Jesus? That's the question. That's the goal. That is the aim, and it requires intentionality. So first of all, before we can know how to make disciples, we want to define what is a disciple. In this context, a disciple is referring to a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a student, someone who says, teach me your ways. Right? We look to Jesus together and say, Lord Jesus, teach me to be like you. That is, he or she is someone who has submitted to Jesus as their Lord, who is seeking to grow in their faith, in their knowledge of God through his word, and seeking to conform their lives to his image, continually by degrees, slowly but surely, but definitely, Day by day, seeking to grow to be like Christ. His ways become our ways. His priorities become our priorities. That's the life of a disciple. So before one can replicate himself or herself, before one can make disciples, one must be a disciple. So the very first point of application here is to make sure that you yourself are growing as a disciple. Now, I've already told you, we, we commend you, church, in this regard. You are continually, we, we rejoice at all the ways that you are seeking to grow in your faith. You take sanctification seriously, and we thank God for that. And next, what does it mean to make disciples? I already gave you the definition, but it's to consciously, intentionally invest yourself, to spend yourself, to pour yourself out, to give your energy your time, your labor, your talents, investing yourself in the lives of others to help them grow in their faith. There's a little book I have on my shelf that is a wonderful book that I, I just love the title. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. 
And that's a wonderful category in the life of the disciples. It's a call to remember that it's not all about me. If I'm building my life where it's all about me and how, I mean, even in the faith, it's good for us to seek to grow. But that's not all we're called to. We're also called to help our brothers and sisters grow. We want to be self-forgetful in moments where we're relating to others, where we're sitting down with a brother or a sister. We want to be more interested in them, in their interests, than in our own. We want to learn their stories more than we're eager to share our story. Now, it's good to be cared for. It's good to share your story as well. But we want to prioritize the interests of others. It's a command to look at where God has placed you and to invest yourself in the lives of those around you. Colin Marshall and Tony Payne wrote a a wonderful book on disciple-making where they describe it this way. They say, disciple-making is really about calling people to faith and hope in Jesus Christ in the midst of this present evil age with all its pressures. It's to become a church more focused on disciple-making by being a fellowship that understands more clearly why life is often hard and what resources God has given us to grow in faith and hope and love in the midst of this struggle. A disciple-making church is actually better able to handle the crises and pressures of everyday life. We all know various crises and pressures in our own lives. We, we read about it on the news. And we, we don't have to look far. We see it everywhere. And God wants to use us to strengthen one another, invite others to enjoy the, the peace and the sanctifying grace that we enjoy from God. So how do we do this? How do we actually make disciples? Now here, I want to spend some time, and I want to get very practical in how do we do this? Because I find that generally that's where we get hung up, right? Is we all hear this command, and, and nobody's like reluctant to you know, obey God's Word. We all want to obey God. We all want to honor God. But we look at this, and we ask, how do we do it? There are other people that are just so more given. I mean, how many, how many people have not been in the moment where you've been talking to someone and they're unfolding the fine china of their life? They're talking about some inner struggles, and, it's, and, it, and your eyes kind of go a little bit wide, and you think, oh, boy, I wish that Pastor John was here right now because he would disciple this person well, right? We think there are other people who are so much more gifted in this moment, and yet God has not called John to be there to disciple every single person. I wish he were at times. (laughs) But he's put me there. He's put you there. God desires to use each one of us, every disciple, to make disciples. And he empowers us toward that end. So first of all, let me tell you how we don't want to make disciples. As a church, as pastors, there are a variety of ways that we think about this, that we seek to, um, to put structures into place in the life of the church to grow and uh, to make disciples. We do re-engage marriage ministry. Uh, we will be un- unfolding a, uh, a new ministry in the spring called Gospel Care, where we're helping you, coming alongside you for this purpose. Uh, we have all kinds of various you know, youth ministry and men's ministry and women's ministry, but none of these fulfill what it is to make disciples on their own, nor do we want them to. We don't want to structure discipleship entirely. We, don't, we, we often, one thing about structures is that often it takes our, all of our focus on creating and maintaining programs in the church that we lose sight of the individual's call to actually make disciples. 
another byproduct is that we don't want to make, we, we don't want a church that is dependent upon the pastors. Now, you are, are not that, but we don't want to cultivate that. We don't want it to be the thing where, uh, where people just feel like, well, I can't help this person. They need the pastor with every time that they raise something. Now, I'm a pastor, John. You know, we love meeting with folks. We, we do it every week. I love gathering, getting together with folks and, and hearing how you're doing and, and, you know, caring for people as well as receiving care from others. But our job, our burden is to obey what God calls us to in Ephesians of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's where we want to come alongside you in that regard. My favorite meetings are when I meet with you because you're doing this. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had various meetings with members of this church who are saying, look, here's a person in my life that I'm seeking to invest in, but man, it's messy and it's hard and I don't always have the answers. How do I do this? I love those meetings. I love hearing how God is using you, how you're taking steps of faith in the midst of weakness. But it's exactly there where God meets us. He meets us in our weakness. The Bible is just full of those moments, right, where, where Moses is called to go to Pharaoh, and, and Moses says, oh, God, not me. I am not eloquent of speech. I am, I am timid. I am afraid. But God uses Moses. He, he sends people in their weakness throughout the Bible, and He does that throughout church history, and He does that today. In our weakness, in our moments of desperation, for the Lord to speak, that is where He meets us. And so that's where we want to encourage you, that if someone needs care, if someone needs ministry, you're, you're surrounded by people. I mean, I, I, there's one right here. They need care. They need ministry. They, may, they don't necessarily need to talk to one of the pastors. They may simply need to sit down and talk with you. And it is the case that you know, God has gifted John and I in various ways. God has gifted you in other ways that we're not gifted in. And He may use you in a more pronounced way than He'll use one of us. So as your pastors, what you'll hear a lot from us is our rejoicing in the ministry that God is using you for. We're going to rejoice in those stories. We're going to rejoice in, in the moments where, uh, where you lead somebody to faith and in the moments where it's a total swing and a miss. Because what we're called to is that level of faithfulness. And we leave the, the fruit of that up to the Lord. So how do we make disciples? We, wanna, we want to encourage you by soaking in the gospel. Here's a very specific and practical way. If you want to make disciples, make it your outset every day to soak in the gospel. George Mueller had it as his goal at the outset of every morning to get his soul happy in the Lord. A happy disciple makes happy disciples. A disciple who lives his life in drudgery is going to make drudgery-looking disciples, sour disciples. We want to get our soul happy in the Lord. We want to cultivate amazement in our lives. We want to cultivate hearts that sing as we consider the amazing grace that we have received through the blood of Jesus Christ. We want to consider the providential care of God in our life, to reflect on the work of redemption that He has performed continually on your behalf, and how He patiently but consistently helps you grow in your own faith, soaking in the gospel. That's what we want to give our attention to, first of all, because as you do that, 
as you consider like the blind man who, who was given sight, okay, how, how, how did you get your sight? I don't know. That man did it. That's what you and I are called to. Brother and sister, let's go to the Lord. I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And I'd love to take you to him. I'd love to sit down with you right now and just hear what's going on in your life. And then let's just stop and pray. You may not have the answers. You may not have some eloquent uh, thing to tell this person other than, you know what, man, that's, that is hard. But I want you to know that I'm weeping with you. I'm rejoicing with you. I'm praying with you. So that's the first thing, soaking in the gospel. Secondly, deepen your knowledge of Scripture. If you want to grow in making disciples, you want to develop a full well of resources, of, of ways to use God's Word in a great, for a greater knowledge of God, a greater knowledge and understanding of the gospel, a greater grasp of the implications of the gospel, both inside and outside the church community. That is, read your Bible. Memorize your Bible. Give yourself to memorizing small pieces and large pieces. You, you will find, as you memorize God's Word, you will just find all kinds of applications for it. You will be memorizing one verse this week, and then somebody will share something. You think, I, I think that's why I memorize that. I think I'd put that verse in my heart. And, and brother, can I just share this with you? I, I read this just this week, and then you share that with that person, and that touches their soul, and that encourages their faith. That helps them grow in their walk with the Lord. So we want to deepen our knowledge of Scripture. Third, we want to practice hospitality. Now we're, now, now we're really stepping out in it, inviting people into our lives, inviting people into our homes. Now, this is a strength indeed of this church. I love hearing all the time about people getting together outside of the church gatherings, whether it's the Sunday morning gathering or community group. They're getting, you're getting together with lunch. You're getting together for dinner. You're getting together for, uh, for sports or various activities. And we want to encourage you to continue to do this all the more. But make sure there's also gospel intentionality in your hospitality. We want to invite others into our homes to get to know them. It's good if, you, if you're, you're gathering today to, uh, to watch the Cowboys game, and I hope you do, you know, if that's who you're cheering for, don't tell me otherwise. If you're get, getting together to watch football or to, or to watch, you know, baseball's over, but if you're getting together to watch some event, that's great. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful gift. But let there also be moments of intentionality in the conversation. When you mute the commercials or when you turn it off at halftime or whatever it is, brother, how are you doing this week? What's going on in your soul? What's, what's been a source of anxiety in your life recently? How can I encourage you? How can I build you up? How can I pray for you? Those little moments, I mean, it's, it's not some big, uh, hey, now it's discipleship time. I want to disciple you. It doesn't usually work if you try to you know, represent yourself that, that way. I'm the discipler, you're my disciple, but just seeking to care for one another, seeking to encourage one another. Hospitality is a wonderful context for this. Just seeking to learn people's stories, listening really well. Seek to be an, a, a skilled listener, where you just quietly listen, but you're actively listening, you're asking good follow-up questions. And then sit back and listen intently, praying for God to work. So practice hospitality. Fourth, welcome outsiders. 
This room is full of people, I'm sure. I'm sure that there are people in this room that you don't know. And there's people outside of this room that you certainly don't know. There are neighbors. You have neighbors. You have coworkers. You have people that you just interact with in various moments of your day that, that you get to welcome into your life. Notice people around you. Take an interest in them. Every person, I love that quote by C.S. Lewis, that you have never encountered a mortal soul. Every individual that you have ever encountered will live for eternity in one place or another. And therefore, let's take an interest in them. Let's show respect to that. Now, Matthew 28 is not exclusively about making disciples of unbelievers, but it is certainly not less than that. Right? This, this verse is often used for going to the nations and, and doing evangelism, and it certainly includes that in this, but it's more than that. So look around at the unbelievers in your life and, and take an interest in them, befriend them, ask them. Here, here's a simple question. You know, anytime that uh, my friend Jim Donahue uh, is in town, we go to lunch together, uh, he will ask the waiter, just a, just a, he'll typically start with the same question, hey, are you part of a church in the area? That's an easy one. Right? And, and usually they'll say, uh, they, they might say yes, or they'll say no, uh, or my mom's part of this church, or I used to go to this church, something like that. But just ask them, are you part of a church in this area? Ask them, um, seek to discover their spiritual background. Have you been part of a church in the past? What, what do you think about God? What do you think happens when we die? Just asking them simple questions, asking, asking them, how can I pray for you? Again, that works with believers, that works for unbelievers. You'll be shocked how many people, how many, whether it's a, a waiter and you, when you've just got this captive audience, or your neighbor. I've, I've got these Hindu neighbors you know, right across the street. Dear friends, I've gotten to know them uh, since, we've, since we've lived there. And when I ask, how can I pray for you? They do not subscribe to the Christian faith, but they will give me ways to pray for them. And that's an opportunity to get to know them and to build into them and to demonstrate the love of Christ for them. And in that... I am doing the work of making disciples. Seek to identify. Here's a grid that, that might be helpful. You're just thinking about as you listen to their stories, you want to think through the biblical story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And just listen for what, what is it that they think that their lives are about? What do, you, what, what do they think that they're created for? What do, they think, what do they see as wrong in this world? Do they see it as primary political or socio, socioeconomic? Is it, is it the climate? Is it the culture? Where do they see things going wrong? And where do they find hope for redemption? Do they find hope of redemption in a, in a new president or in a new political system or in what, what is that? I have this friend that, uh, that runs a gym, and I, I love how he describes his job as a salesman at this gym. He says, Aaron, I sit down and welcome people into the gym all day long, and I'm talking to them about gym memberships, and I hear them tell me all these reasons that they need Jesus and why they think that fitness is their solution. Do you hear that? That's profound. They have all these things in their life, and they think that fitness is what they need when really what they need is the Lord. So listen intently. Listen with that kind of grid in mind. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. What are they putting their hope in? And seek for ways to help them point their hope to the Lord. 
And fifth, recognize that we all need ongoing discipleship. You need it. I need it. This room is full of men and women, young and old, who need ongoing discipleship. So don't, don't think for a moment that this is, um, that this is that simply because someone is older than you, that God hasn't equipped you to use them in their lives to help them grow in their faith. Every one of us has the ongoing need for our hearts to be tuned and recalibrated to be more like Christ. My men's meeting recently, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, my community group leader, Jason Covington, was leading us well, helping us to grow in our faith. And there's a, you know, one brother after another is sharing things and, and opening up their lives. And I'm opening up my life and benefiting from the disciple-making work of the other men in my community group, in my men's group. And I'm so grateful for that. One of the main hindrances in discipleship, whether of unbelievers or believers, is that we look at others and assume that they have it all together. As a pastor, I meet with, I meet with everybody in this church. Um, I, I love doing that. And over and over again, I will regularly hear folks that are new to this church say, I'm not sure that I belong here. My life is messy. It's not all clean. It's not all ordered. There's a lot of hard things. I'm dealing with some hard stuff. The <laughs> thing is, I, we, we hear that from, from most everybody. And we all are at various places, certainly of maturity and in growing in our faith. But we all have areas of mess, struggles. And so God has placed you. I want you to have this conviction. That God has placed you in the midst of a, a room full of people, wherever you are, of people that need to grow in the Lord. Discipleship does not mean that you are the more accomplished or necessarily more mature than the other person in the relationship. There was a time recently when I was at breakfast with one of my sons. I have the habit of, of uh, each week I'll take one of my sons out to breakfast, and I just kind of rotate through them for this purpose of discipleship. And I was, I was discipling this particular son and one of these breakfasts, this son leaned across the table in the midst of my questions, and he, and he said, Dad, thanks for caring for me so well, but can I just ask you, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? It seems like you have a lot going on recently. Dad, how can I pray for you? My, how the tables have turned. <laughs> and the Lord used my son, my very young child, to encourage my faith and to help me grow in my discipleship. So if you're sitting with that couple who's 30 years older than you, with that individual who has lived twice the life that you have, don't lose heart that God can't use you to encourage them in their faith. Last recommendation for how to grow in making disciples. Commit to your community group. Community groups are not, you know, dis you know explicitly prescribed in the Bible, and yet it is one of those structures that we put into the life of the church that is a ready-made context for making disciples. This is a context that you can come into and that you are placed in a room full of people, brothers and sisters, members of this same body that you are called to edify. You're called to help sanctify. God will use you in their lives. He has given you various gifts, not for your own good primarily, not even just for that good of your family, but for the good of your ultimate family, your eternal family in this room, He will use you for their good to build up the church. 
So jump into your community group. Come in there with intentionality. Come in. Don't, don't just, you know, kind of stride in there with nothing going on, but come in with a burden on your heart. Father, use me to encourage others tonight. And not just in those meetings, but follow up with them after the meetings. Hey, you shared something the other day. How's that going? You mentioned that you were, you were thinking about a job change. You, you referenced that things have been kind of hard in your marriage. How can I encourage you in that regard? Your brothers and sisters need you, and God will use you. I mentioned this already, but as your pastors, we want to continually help and strengthen you as you seek to obey this command, this commission to make disciples. We do not want to call you to something without equipping you for that task. We're all at various stages of maturity in the different areas of the Christian life. Some of you are, you hear this and you're, you're already doing this. Some of you are ready to rock and roll. You have felt this call and you are eager to pour yourself into the lives of others. And others are just ready for this message to be over because it's exposing areas of weakness and anxiety. Please don't ask me to do this. Whether you're ready to go or whether you're timid and just hoping that we don't actually ask you what your personal plan is, and I won't do that today, we want to come alongside you in this glorious mission. So we want to encourage you to ask for help. If you, if you need resources, we have resources to offer. If you'd like training in this, we will train you in this. We will offer classes. We will come alongside you. We will pray for you. We will consult with you as you're discipling others. I'd love to hear from you. How's it going? What are the challenges that you're coming across? How can we encourage you? How can we pray for you? We will sit and talk with you, certainly. Disciple-making, brothers and sisters, is a community project. It's a call to the church. It's a call to all of us, and we're in this together. But Jesus himself doesn't send us out without a promise of help. So let's look at this final claim through this text. We are called to rest in the presence of Christ. Jesus says in this final line, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Once upon a time, I was into scuba diving. I haven't, haven't done any scuba diving in a long time. But I distinctly remember the first shipwreck dive that I did. It was called the USS Copenhagen off of the Florida Keys. Um, we went down. We fed chum to a number of nurse sharks, which is a pretty, pretty cool experience. We navigated through the, shi- through the shipwreck. It was a very cool experience. We got some cool pictures uh, that have been fun memories. However, the trip didn't start very smoothly. The trip started, you know, we got, we got all of our gear on. We get into the water, and we're, we've got our little map. They, they provide laminated maps once you're down that you can actually see and nav- use to navigate through the shipwreck. And we're in the water, and I'm suddenly very aware of my claustrophobia, and claustrophobia is like fear of tight places, but it's also like being constrained in some way, right? Well, the way that I'm constrained is that if you know anything about scuba dive, once you get to a certain depth, you can't just uh, quickly ascend to the, to the surface. If you do that, you get what's called the bends. The, it's, it's decompression sickness. You get, um, what is it, uh, nitrogen from the air that you're breathing gets into your body tissue, and it becomes exceedingly painful, and you have to get into a decompression tank, and it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a nightmare, I hear. I've, I've never actually experienced it, but my fear of this drove me to the point where as we started to descend 
into the, down into the water. I got to that point of no return where once I get past this point, I can't just swim back to the surface, and I panicked, and so I just, I, I wasn't past that point, but I was at that point, so I just quickly went, went back to the surface. I chickened out. And my brother came back. He noticed me, so he comes to the surface with me, and he's trying to help me calm down. I'm kind of breathing hard, and I'm going through my air, and he's looking at me, and he's using hand motions to tell me, hey, just, just follow me down. I'm going to be with you. I'm going with you down. Let's just go together. And his presence there helped me. It filled me with courage to go down. It was a very humbling thing. I'm a competitive man, and this was my younger brother. This is really hard for my little brother to basically, metaphorically take me by the hand and, and guide me down. And yet His presence filled me with courage. When Jesus commissions us as His disciples, He sends us out, He says, as lambs among wolves. We go in our weakness. We aren't sure that we have all the necessary tools. Are you sure you want to send me? I don't know what to say. God sends us in our weakness. We don't have all the answers. And more than that, He promises, Jesus promises you and I that we will endure suffering. We will endure ridicule. We will endure persecution. This isn't a very exciting prospect. It's not a very reassuring job description. But Jesus concludes this command. He does command us. He concludes it with the assurance of His presence. At the outset of Jesus' ministry, He declared that He was Emmanuel, God with us. And here, at the end of His public ministry, before ascending to the throne, He leaves us with this promise that He is God with us. He will be with us always. Can you imagine a greater promise? Can you imagine a greater truth to hear as you're being told to go? J.C. Ryle says that it is impossible to conceive words more comforting. He says that it is impossible to conceive of words more strengthening, cheering, and sanctifying than these. No words could be imagined more consolatory to believers in every age of the world. John Stott, in his book on discipleship, he says, to those who go... To those who go into the world as Christ Himself came into the world, those who sacrifice their ease and comfort and independence, those who hazard their lives in search of disciples, to them, to them the presence of the living Christ is promised. In sending them out, He yet accompanies them. Go, He says, and lo, I am with you, with you in the person of the Holy Spirit to restrain you, to direct you, to encourage and empower you. I am with you always, all the days, in days of safety and of peril, days of failure and success, days of freedom to preach, and days of restriction and persecution, days of peace and of conflict and war. Jesus says, Boldly, assuredly, comfortingly, I am with you all the days unto the end of the world. This promise, brothers and sisters, this promise for the 11 disciples who were originally, originally commissioned holds true for you and I today. He is with us. He 
goes before us. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You can let that fill you with courage. Left to ourselves, we would be hopeless, but He does not leave us to ourselves. He is with us and goes before us. He is at work in all the lives of those around us. And He invites you and I to come and join Him in this work. Why does He use fallible and weak creatures like you and me, I do not know, but use us, He does. And being used of the Lord in the lives of others is such a humbling and joy-producing privilege that I just want to call you and appeal to you to hear this command from our Lord and to reorder your lives such that you are able to make this the central aspect of your outward mission in this life to make disciples. I was recently talking to a group of pastors in Nepal. Uh, we had the question, it was, um, you know, what can you do, what do you do to cultivate joy in your life? And this brother said, I give myself to making disciples. There is nothing that gives me greater joy than seeing God at work in the lives of those around me, and then hearing someone profess faith for the first time, then hearing a couple communicate that their hope for the future of their marriage lies wholly in the Lord that without Him, they are hopeless, but with Him, they have all hope. That produces joy, brothers and sisters, and we can all get in on this. So, in closing, I want to encourage you today to look around before you leave here today for someone that you don't know super well. I know they're in this room. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to dinner. Get to know them. Listen to their stories and make it your mission to encourage them in their discipleship. If it seems like they're just doing amazing and, and, and things just rock and roll, then ask them about their discipling relationships and let it be a moment where you get to learn from them in this regard. So we're all continually those who are called to make disciples as those who are called to grow as disciples. But whether your time is with a lifelong disciple or with someone who has not yet given their life to Jesus, know that the Lord is with you. Let that comfort you. Let that assure you. And let that grow your zeal for obeying this commission. The Lord is with you. He will always be with you. He will strengthen you. He will help you, and He will uphold you with His righteous right hand. So take heart and go. Make disciples. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we end where we began, Father, by just celebrating your amazing grace. As we turn now to singing a final song, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts even now of stoking our joy in the Lord, of cultivating our confidence in the Spirit's ability to use us and giving us excitement and enthusiasm to go out and to participate in this grand commission of making disciples. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, equip us, and empower us toward that end. We give all the praise and glory and honor to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.